y'all. This is Amy. And this is Meg. And we're 1096 Crime Chicks. Today, we are doing the case of Cameron Todd Willingham. I have to be honest, I had never heard of Cameron Todd Willingham until you told me about him. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's really sad. There's so much to this story. And if I say local, it's not really local. It's Texas. It's about an hour away. And they just made a movie about it based yeah. on the article that we got a lot of our stuff from. The article's called Trial by Fire, and it was in the New Yorker, and it was written by David Graham. Yeah, I'd love to see the movie. I know. I think Laura Dern is in it. Yeah. But it's not one that like went to the theaters. I think it went straight to Redbox. I'm not positive, but I think. Is the movie like, exact? well, not exact. You haven't seen it. You don't know. But I wonder, like, did they take artistic liberties, and is it... I'm not sure. Or, I they, or is it true to the story? I wonder if it is true to the story. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah, I okay. don't know. So. Okay. Well, why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about this case? All right. So, December the 23rd of 1991, Cameron Todd Willingham. I have read different things where he went by Cameron. I've read oh. Todd. Okay. So, most of the article, I've just called him Willingham. Or, like, if I know. Willingham. <laughs> so, Cameron Todd Willingham was at home with his daughters. He had one-year-old twins, Carmen and Cameron, and a two-year-old little girl named Amber. And his wife, Stacy, went Christmas shopping for the family. And yes. I think she went Christmas shopping at, like, Salvation Army. Yes, they were I saw that, yes. Real low on funds and stuff. But yes. they wanted to do something for the girls. For the girls for yeah. Christmas, absolutely. Yeah, so a neighbor, 11-year-old, Buffy Barbie. Yeah, that's a rough name. <laughs> I, know. I was like, Buffy Barbie. That, that, you know, no, I was like, I think that'd kind of be cool. To be named Buffy Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy Barbie. So she was outside and she smelled smoke. And so she ran inside to tell her mom, Diane. And when they ran outside at the street, they, they found saw that. saw the house on fire. Yeah, the Willingham house was on fire. So, so they saw that it was burning. Uh-huh. And so, I see I have him Cameron in here. Well, I'll go by Willingham so we don't get confused. But So, Willingham was on the front porch in his jeans, and his chest was, like, covered in soot, and his hairs were singed, and he was screaming, my babies are burning up, my babies are burning up. So, he yelled at the Barbies to get help. And so, I guess, Diane went back to the house to help, or to get help, to call to call the fire department, and Buffy stayed at the Willingham's house, kind of watching. I guess they just yeah. stood there and watched. And remember, this is 91, so there were no cell phones at this time. Right. I mean, it would have been, like, the big, like, bag phone that really rich people <laughs> had. No, point. I don't think in that neighborhood anybody had the, right. the bag phone. Uh-uh. Right, so, so they had to go to someone's house yes, to call. Yes, I think Diane them. had to run all the way back home to the house to call. Right. And so Willingham broke a window to the room the girls were in, I think, to go try to get the girls. Mm-hmm. And flames shot out as soon as he broke the window. And then tried another window, did the same thing, and flames shot out of that window as well. Yeah. It's really sad. So it it said that he ran out in the yard and he was just 100% defeated. He was Yeah, so what, upset. what can you do? Yeah. And one of the witnesses there said that he would yell out, for his babies, but he acted like he was trying to tune the fire out. But again, we have talked about this in episode after episode yes. after episode that everybody reacts differently. Yeah. 
So, and eyewitness accounts differ so much too, because I think right. in trauma, like nobody really remembers what they saw. Like right. I feel like eyewitness accounts always differ dramatically just because when right. you see trauma, your mind kind of. So Diane came running back. She had called the fire department and she said that she, when she got back to the house, she could feel the heat coming from the yes, house. Yes, just like emanating from right. the house. Yes. And when she got back, all the windows around that area had blown out and flames were shooting out. Yeah. Of the windows. So like a terrible fire. Right. Like a horrible, right. angry fire. The fire department got there just a few minutes later, and Willingham ran up to them just saying that his girls were in the room where the smoke was the thickest. So, you know, he had tried to get back in there. One of the firemen on scene got on the radio and told everyone to hurry up. He could see that it was a really, really bad fire. So more and more firemen showed up and they started getting their fire hoses ready. One of the firemen actually went into a window with all of his protective gear on and an air mask. But after getting hit by the water, he had to get back out of the house. You know, when I read that, I was like, he got hit by water. But then I was thinking, and that's a really hard punch. Yeah, probably knocked him. So the fireman that had run in, he tried to get back in through the front door and he made it all the way to the kitchen, which was in the back of the house, and he noticed that there was a refrigerator blocking the back door, which comes into play later. But yeah. um, initially could look sketchy. Right, That's yeah. a little sketchy. And the longer that Willingham stood there watching all of this go on, the more upset he got, understandably. Of course. He told a fire chaplain that came, George Monahan, that when Stacy left, he took a nap and then he was woken up by Amber screaming, Daddy, Daddy, which I can't even imagine. Yeah. He said that his daughter was trying to wake him up and he could not get to his girls on time. So when she was screaming, Daddy, Daddy, was she in the girls' room though? So he wasn't sure. Because we'll they, find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a gate to their girl's room, right? Right, but she could climb over the gate. Oh yeah, Amber could climb right. over it. The twins could not. So there was a baby gate to the girl's room so the twins could not get out, but Amber right. could get out. Yes. And one of the things that I don't even remember if it's in our notes or not, the girl's bedroom was originally the living room. Yes. Because it was bigger and they could use that whole entire room for a play area yes. and the bedroom. So the bedroom that they had originally started using was now acting as the living right. room, and it was vice versa. So right. that's why there was not a door on their room, and that's why they had the baby gate up. Yeah, so. got it. So uh, Willingham was talking to the chaplain, and a fireman came out of the house holding Amber. They were trying to give her CPR, and Willingham started running towards them. And then he said he started trying to get back into the house. He just decided, I guess, he wanted back in and probably wanted to try to get to the twins. And it took Monahan, who was the chaplain, mm -hmm. and another man to stop him from getting in the house. They had to restrain him because he was trying to get back into the house, presumably to get the twins. Monahan later said he got a black eye from trying to restrain him. Another fireman said that he had to try to stop Willingham from going into the house earlier than this as well. That it would have been crazy for anyone to try to get in. It would have been so dangerous because the fire was so bad, but right. that he wanted to get in because it's his girl. Yeah, so Willingham went to the hospital, and when he got there was when he was told that Amber didn't make it, and she was found in his bedroom, in the master bedroom. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe, you know, when she was yelling his name, she was in there, maybe that's why he woke up. Just so sad, because... That's where some of my... Well, 
some, where some of my confusion lies, that if she was in the master bedroom waking him up, like it seems like second nature to grab your kid and get out. Right, but, and I, I think we go, go into it, it's been, this has been a lot of note taking. Yeah. Because um, this is going to be more than probably two episodes, yeah. I would think. Yeah, but yeah. It, when he woke up and he heard her, like the smoke was already so thick, he could not see. So he knew yeah. that his jeans were right there on the floor. He grabbed, grabbed his, his jeans, jeans. He put them on, and he tried to, you know, feel so his way I don't out. Think that yeah. he even realized, you know, he heard "Daddy, Daddy," but it could have been coming from the bedroom, and he, you know, right. But he couldn't see. All anything. he knew to do was just to right. get out. Yeah. So she was found there in his bedroom, and then Carmen and Cameron were found on the floor in their bedroom, and they'd been badly burned. That's just so sad. Horrible. They were babies. They were like one. So obviously news of this tragedy spread really quickly through Corsicana. It's a small town. And I mean, it's it's really right by us. Like, I feel right. like it's right by us here in Waco. I know. I think it's like 45, 50 miles. Yeah. It's not, it's not far from us at all. So, but I don't really remember this happening. Do you? I don't either. But of course I was 11. So. Yeah. 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 We were young. Yeah. I don't really remember. The only thing I remember from the 90s is the crunchy egg. <laughs> I do remember that. That was and a few OJ. years later. <laughs> I do remember that. I can remember Jean but all yeah. of that was like five years kind of past this. Right. This was this early was, 90s. We were young, young. You're in elementary school, but I bet it was on the Waco news and stuff. Oh, it, it had to have been a thing. Yeah. A big deal here in Waco. So, like, like Amy said, it's probably 45. 50 miles away from Waco. It was a booming oil town. That's what it, I mean, a long time ago. But then the oil dried up and leaving a lot of the population there poverty stricken. Um, most of the storefronts in town had to close and jobs were declining. So it's a really like, I drive through there a lot when uh-huh. I go out to East Texas uh-huh. and there is a lot of empty buildings. Yeah. But then there's like, if anybody loves Russell Stover candy, okay. they have a factory there. Really? So you can go in there and buy candy. I didn't from there. know that. And okay. then it, there's a bakery okay. and they have restaurants and stuff. But okay. The original bakery is there that does fruitcake in Corsicana. Very cool. So they have like some really cool stuff. It is absolutely beautiful at Christmas time. Aww. They really make it look really pretty. So I think at, at this time in the early 90s, it was really bad poverty stricken. Right. And I can see where parts of the town still are, but it seems like it's kind of up and coming. Had a little resurgence. Right. I hope so. Yeah. I hate it when those cute little small towns start to decline like that. Very sad. So anyway, small town at the time and particularly a lot of them were poverty stricken and Willingham and his wife Stacy were very poor. Stacy worked in her brother's bar. It was called some other place. I love that. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to go to some other place, yes. have a drink. So, uh, and Willingham was a former auto mechanic who had lost his job. So he was just staying at home and taking care of the three little kids while Stacy worked at Mr. some other Mom. place. He's a stay-at-home dad at the time. The rest of the community, they knew, of course, that the Willinghams were, you know, they were poor and struggling. So they decided to help them, started taking up money to help pay for funeral expenses. And, I mean, funerals for three, that's a lot of money. Right. Yeah. A lot. I mean, think back to Darley when we were talking yeah. about oh, their yeah. funeral costs. Funeral. Which was around, I mean, it was a little bit later, but even Over then. Over 10, I think it was 11000 for right. the two boys, and they right. were in one casket. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Although they might have wanted a fancy casket. That's true. <laughs> Very true. Their chairs were kind of fancy. Yeah. Anyway. 
So while everyone in Corsicana was helping the Willinghams, the fire investigators were trying to figure out what started the fire, and Willingham gave them permission to search the house. Sure. I mean, why not? Yeah. And I even wrote in my notes, why would he give them permission if he was guilty? Yeah, absolutely. You know? The then assistant chief of the Corsicana Fire Department was named Douglas Fogg, and we'll hear a lot about him. Fogg, a little bit. And he was the first person to search the house. He grew up in Corsicana, and then he went to the military, and then after his tour in the military, he came back to Corsicana and joined the fire department. At the time of this fire, he had been with the fire department for more than 20 years, and he came to call the fire, quote, the beast. The beast. Right? And by this time, he had become a fire arson investigator, and he said, quote, you learn that fire talks to you. So we'll also learn about what it takes to become a fire arson investigator. Yeah, and that's fun. And that's fun. So he was joined by a fire marshal named Manuel Vasquez, um, who has since passed away. But Vasquez had a real reputation for finding the reason for fires. He had investigated over 1,200 fires. So yeah, he had a reputation for studying arson, I guess. We'll hear Um, a lot about him too. Yeah. So these fire arson investigators, they've always kind of been considered an anomaly in the investigation field. There was a fire arson investigator in the 91 movie Backdraft, which Amy loved. That. Oh my gosh. <laughs> one of my favorites. It was one of my mom's favorites. That's too. funny. I mean, Kurt Russell I liked it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember liking it. But, um, but anyway, so and a fire arson investigator in that movie said about fires it breathes it eats and it hates the only way to beat it is to think like it to know that this flame will spread this way across the door and up across the ceiling it's crazy that is crazy because i mean it's kind of true like yeah i I get it so vasquez was previously in the army and while in the army he was in army intelligence and he had several of his own sayings about fire he would say fire does not destroy evidence it creates it which i think is super interesting yeah, and, it is. Yeah, and true. And the fire tells the story. I'm just the interpreter. So he came to be known as the Sherlock Holmes of fire arson investigating. So when Vasquez was asked in trial whether he had ever made a mistake in investigating fires, he said he does not know and that he has never been told he has made one. Wow. I don't know if you have ever seen anything about the Memphis Three. No. There was an investigator that was just very smug when someone asked how positive are you that these are the killers yeah and he looked at them he smirked and said 11 mm. and like kind of shook his head and was like this is exactly what, what it reminds you of. of so fog and vasquez went back to the house four days after the fires so this was now the 27th so that vasquez could start his investigation he was called on the 26th i believe and he showed up on the 27th so, according to arson investigation procedures, you start at the least burned area and move to the worst. And according to Vasquez at trial, this was strictly preliminary. And at this time, beginning of his investigation here at the Willingham House, he was not making any conclusions. He was strictly just doing a walkthrough of the house. Although, do you really believe that? I do not. I don't either. I think I, we already I had mean, a I think a lot of times in some questionable things, people already have their mind made up. Darling. We just yeah. talked about that. The, they had the their Ramsey's, mind. Their, absolutely. Mean, it's absolutely right. And it's so dangerous. It's so scary to think about that people walk that people walk in with their minds made up. And yeah. once their minds are made up, there is so little you can do to change it. Mm-hmm. It's really scary. 
yeah, Vasquez and Fogg slowly made their way through the house and took notes and took pictures of the damage. And they made their way to the kitchen and noticed, again, that there was a refrigerator blocking the back door. But you could squeeze yeah. through it if you had to. Yeah. However, looking at ash and melted wires in the kitchen, they quickly determined that it did not start there. So they kept making their way through the house. Most of the damage in the kitchen was from smoke and heat, not from yeah. the fire. Yeah. So then they started making their way down the hall. And there was the master bedroom to the left and the children's bedroom was to the right. And then um, further down, the living room was on the left and then the porch. And like Amy said, the children's room was originally the living room, but they switched that. So they switched the living to what was originally their bedroom. So they made their way down the hall. According to Vasquez, he was really observant during his walkthrough. Of course, he was. <laughs> of course, he's going to admit uh, that he was. Very, yes. <laughs> He's very observant, <laughs> and he compared the situation to entering his mother-in-law's house for the very first time. He said, I have the same curiosity. That's weird. Why did he walk through his mother-in-law's house? So curious. Right? Did you take pictures and notes? Yeah, so creepy. <laughs> Why did he do that at his mother-in-law's house? So... While the two investigators were in the utility room, they saw pictures of skulls on the wall and also a picture of what Vasquez described as the Grim Reaper. Do you remember the Grim Reaper? I do remember the Grim Reaper. Yeah. And I put in, in my notes, does this remind anyone of Satanic Panic? Because, you know, I mean, that was going on late 80s, early 90s. I don't remember Satanic Panic. Amy had to teach me a little bit about it. <laughs> McMartin Preschool. Look it up. I promise you. Oh, uh, no, I believe you. I believe you. But they were really concerned about these pictures of skulls on the wall. I know. And these people were young. Willingham and his wife were young. It's yeah. not like a creepy, like, 60-year-old man with pictures of skulls on right. the wall. Like, they were really fresh out of high school. Well, and this was also a time that big bands like Iron Maiden, I didn't look just at metal. any of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but just, yeah, heavy metal bands were in. And yeah. Again, I think it's different for a 20-year-old guy to have pictures of skulls on the wall than like some creepy 60-year-old yeah. man who I agree. likes all that stuff. So anyway, you forget that they're really young too. Right. So they left the utility room after they saw the pictures of the skull and the Grim Reaper, and uh, they moved to the master bedroom where Amber, the oldest, had been found. And this room showed that it only had smoke and heat damage as well, so they continued walking through it. Of course they did. Very observantly. <laughs> While they were walking, they were removing debris and noticed that there was a lot of charring along the base of the walls. Again, because I'm not an expert in fire arson, this is what the article yes. that we found said about finding charring on a wall. Quote, because gases become buoyant when heated, flames ordinarily burn upward. But Vasquez and Fogg observed that the fire had burned extremely low down and that there were peculiar char patterns on the floor shaped like puddles. Wow. So, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. After seeing this, Vasquez started to get concerned, and he started to observe and follow what is called the, quote, burn trailer, which is what you see when you're following how the fire moves. So, it's kind of like a tornado path. Right. Or something. The path you can see exactly of the fire. Exactly. So, the path moved from the hall into the children's bedroom, and with the sun coming through the window, he was able to see it very clearly and what would be considered irregular burn patterns. Yes. They did say when a flammable liquid is used in a fire, it tends to pool or puddle, leaving irregular burn marks yeah. in the pattern. So that's interesting. So I get at this point that, they, I mean, 
when, when reading all of that, you can get at this point that that's starting to look suspicious. Right. We learn so much more later that explains all of yeah, that. Absolutely. So much, so but just by reading that much, even at that part in the article, that's enough to make you be like, okay, you're right. That sounds kind of, that sounds suspicious. Right. So Vasquez also noted that the fire had burned through the carpeting, tile, and wood. And it had burned so hot that the bed springs had turned white. That, of course, is really concerning. And he was very concerned that the heat was that low to the ground, given, of, you know, all that everybody knows that heat rises. So, you know, mm -hmm. he was concerned why it was all so low to the ground. So Fogg looked down and saw a piece of glass that he described as a web-shaped pattern, pattern of shattering. And this is what firefighters call crazed glass. So I guess when it shatters because of the heat, and mm -hmm. it has this pattern on it that it's crazed glass. So they found um, crazed glass at this. So according to this article, Trial by Fire, forensic textbooks describe crazed glass as an indicator that a fire has burned fast and hot or otherwise known to show if an accelerant had been used to start a fire which causes the glass to shatter. Yeah. I can imagine that there's a lot of things that can cause glass to shatter, like sure. a rock. Absolutely. I, I mean, Anything. You know, yeah, yeah. Glass generally shatters. Right. As in generally, yeah. After seeing this shattered glass, Fogg and Vasquez looked again at the burn pattern on the floor, and it appeared to go from the children's room down the hallway and out the front door, and there was charring under the door frame, which again made them think that an accelerant was used. Yeah. Something else that they noticed was there were brown spots on the floor. Again, according to arson investigators at this point in time, meant it was a sign of an accelerant use. Yeah, and so after they noticed this, they also looked for a V. I thought this was interesting, but mm -hmm. according to arson investigations, the bottom of the V can show where the fire originated. And in this case, they found three Vs. One was in the children's room, one was in the hallway, and one was on the front porch. That's interesting too. The front mm -hmm. porch, why? Why the front porch? Right. So according to Vasquez, when he testified at trial, having multiple origins points to a fire being intentionally set by human hands. Yeah. So their minds are made up at this point. Yeah. Clearly. After their investigation, both of them came to the conclusion that someone had poured accelerant in the children's room, under the beds, down the hallway, and out onto the front porch. And they also pointed out that someone had moved that refrigerator in front of the back door, therefore making the house inescapable. Though, particularly little kids could have easily gone around that right. refrigerator. Well, and something else, and I didn't put it in here, I think maybe it might be in the notes, but I can't remember. There was a free Amazon book about this case. Uh -huh. And I remember reading in that book that there were two refrigerators in the kitchen. Yep. One of them was working and one of them was yep. not. The one in front of the back door was, was not yeah, working. Yeah, was not working. And Stacy had moved it over there. So just to get out of the way. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Well, and if they were able to get by it, the grown men were. Clearly, the little kids could get Absolutely. by it. I'm sure that they were all just get moving around it all day long. Like, I don't, yeah. Yeah. So, Fogg and Vasquez, they took samples of different materials throughout the house, in the bedroom, in the hallway, yes. on the front porch. They sent them off to a laboratory. According to the laboratory, one of the samples had what contained mineral spirit, yes. which meant basically lighter fluid that you use for like barbecues. Yes. It has mineral could spirit. possibly be. It didn't mean that right. it for sure was. But 
the thing is, they have several yeah. samples and only one. one. Yeah. Mineral, like, okay. Wouldn't you think that all of them, the carpet, that right. everything had to be saturated? Right. Yeah. And again, it's not in here. Oh, no, it is. Mineral spirits is what is in lighter fluid. And the sample that came back for that was near the front door. Yeah. Okay, so the bad part of the fire, right. obviously, where the girls were, was had in, nothing. Was in the bedroom. Right. So it's just really, I don't know. Really and it just it said it could possibly be lighter fluid. Exactly. It didn't even say that it was lighter fluid. So it also probably possibly could have been other things. Yeah. It's a bad piece of evidence. So, of course, because one sample yeah. came back, this is a triple murder. All of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. One possible sample makes it a triple murder. Right. So Cameron Todd Willingham was the only other person to be known. And because of this, he was considered the prime suspect of a triple murder. And it's so and really. It's all over for Cameron Todd Willingham at that point. Absolutely. Honestly, honestly, it is. It's all over for him at that point. And all these cases that we do, they just remind me too that being poor when you're a suspect sucks. Yes. When you are poor and don't have money to for I don't know for good representation and for lawyers immediately, it just you're just out of luck. Yes. One hundred percent being poor in this situation like double sucks it sucks for anyone but i think of the ramseys and i think probably because they could afford so many good lawyers there at the beginning and then private investigators they were able to stay out of prison but then you think of people like this they don't have a chance yeah it's really sad yeah it's so sad so police and fire investigators started going through the neighborhood and they asked questions of all the neighbors but some of the answers that they received were very confusing yep they were. They were told, that? yeah, they were just told that Willingham had had many different reactions at the time of the fire. Diane Barbie, who we talked about at the beginning, said that he seemed okay until the firefighters arrived on the scene and then turned on the dramatic. Another neighbor said he was more concerned with moving his car away from the burning house. And even the chaplain said that things looked very weird and Willingham seemed to be in control the entire time. You know what I just hate generally is hearing what everybody thinks. We just talked about this yes but hearing what everybody thinks about the person's reactions again it makes me think of Darlie again and they were like oh in the hospital she was being inappropriate you know yeah and then but then half of their notes say grieving appropriately crying and then half of them say like you know so inappropriate and when people see shocking things too like a house burning and knowing that their toddlers inside dying like Minds play tricks on you. And yeah. I think in reading a lot about Columbine, there were several Columbine survivors that came away and they all had like kind of different stories of the tragedy and they were all there, but just what their minds remembered after just, they just had kind of PTSD and their minds remembered totally different things. So eyewitness account to me has to be just super low on the list of things yes. that incriminate people. Yes, and one thing that I wanted to point out from that was, you know, somebody said that he was more concerned with moving the car. The car, yes. So I watched a documentary about this. It's probably been five, six years ago. It was a PBS documentary, and someone talked about it. And his mindset, according to one of the people on there, was if the house blows up, my car is right here. Yeah, he knew it was full of gas. He knew, right. Yeah, he knew his car blew up. Absolutely. It had nothing that makes to, sense to do to me. with, yeah, get it out of the way. Let me move my car. I don't yeah. want it to get messed up. No. At this point, it's going to blow. Right. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense to me. The car is going to blow also, so get it out of the way. It's mm -hmm. full of it's full of gasoline. So anyway, they're doing the investigation. He's been arrested. And they just found things that 
concerned him. So we'll talk more about Willingham. Yeah. We'll kind of delve in a little bit a little bit more to Cameron Todd. He was born in 1968 in Oklahoma, and his mom abandoned him when he was a baby. His father, Gene, divorced her, and together with Willingham's stepmom, Eugenia, they raised him. Gene was a veteran of the Marines and worked in a junkyard, and they lived in a small house right off of the railroad tracks, which caused a reduction of sleep for the entire family. Yes. I'm sure you don't sleep a lot. You know what I love? What? Gene and Eugenia. Oh, that is funny. Isn't that cute? Gene. It's like they were meant to be. My husband's dad's name is Gene. Really? Yeah. Gene passed away. So Willingham had what was called the Willingham look, which consisted of a handsome face, thick dark hair, and dark eyes. Tall, dark, and handsome. He really was kind of handsome. Yeah. He wasn't bad looking. He wasn't. He did not do well in school and eventually turned his sniffing paint. Paint sniffer, yeah, the old paint sniffer. So at the age of 17, Oklahoma's Department of Human Services evaluated him and said he likes girls, music, fast cars, sharp trucks, swimming, and hunting in that order, which probably sounds like all high school boys. Right? I don't think that sounds <laughs> concerning. I'm sorry, tell me what part about that is concerning. Yeah. Girls, music, cars, I mean, that's just... High school boy boy. Right? Yeah. And hunting? I mean, come on. This is Oklahoma. Swimming. Yeah. Trucks. Yeah. Totally normal. Yeah. Totally normal. So he did eventually drop out of high school and started getting into crime. I think they were just mostly petty thefts. Um, mm -hmm. Driving under the influence, stealing a bike, shoplifting. So no serious crimes, but it did turn into some petty thefts. So he met his wife, Stacy, in 1988. She was a senior in high school, and she also had a troubled life. When she was four, her stepfather strangled her mother to death mm. after a fight. Can you That's, imagine? No, that is a trouble. That is trouble. Yes. And also so interesting, don't you think, in so many of these cases, not necessarily ones that we've done, but thinking of Bundy or just so many of these cases, what hard lives these people live. Yes. Isn't it interesting? Even it is. If, when they're guilty or not guilty, I just think, yeah. It just seems to be a common thread that they're right. growing up is really difficult, that they've got parent issues, divorced parents, dead parents. It just seems like so many of them have had such troubled um, upbringings. Right. Yeah. So Stacy and Willingham's relationship was rocky. He was often unfaithful and he loved to drink, especially Jack Daniels. He's a drinker and a paint sniffer. Yeah. <laughs> Makes for but a, a drinker and a paint sniffer does not make you a murderer. Exactly. No. He would often hit Stacy and yeah. even when she was pregnant. And in fact the neighbor told police that he heard him yell at Stacy saying, quote, get up, bitch, and I'll hit you again. So I mean he was a jerk. He was one hundred percent a jerk. He's not a likable character. He's a mean guy. Right. 100%. So on December 31st, which would have been eight days after the fire, they called in Willingham for more questioning. Vasquez and Fogg were there. So was the police investigator, Jimmy Hensley. And this was his first arson investigation, which can't make you feel too confident. Right. <laughs> you never want to be someone's first. Willingham just started talking about the facts. Stacy left at 9 a.m., like you said, to get gifts at the Salvation Army. After she left, the twins had woken up, started crying. He made them both a bottle, laid them down on the floor. So that, like we talked about, there was a baby gate to the kids' room. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't have a door. They didn't have a door to their room. They just had baby gate up because it had been the living room. And Amber could climb over the gate and the twins couldn't. So he just gave them both a bottle, laid them down on the floor. Amber was still in bed. Willingham asked if she wanted to come get in bed with him. She said no. 
So he went back to his room and got back in bed. I'm betting they just all fell back asleep. Right. It's early in the morning. The babies had their bottle. They probably just all. Well, and this is something else that I was like, maybe at some point I may have questioned the fact that he laid them on the floor because they had beds. Right. But I'm sure he laid them on the floor. That way when they got up, they could start playing. Right. Instead of him having he to get knew. up and him yeah, yeah, yeah. Crib and, yeah. you know. We always, we, are, we have twins too, and uh, but I remember giving them a bottle and if we were going to go somewhere, we would lay them on a bobby, even when they were older. But like it's like a little U-shaped pillow. We wouldn't like put them back in their crib. We would just kind of prop them up and hand them their bottle and they would drink their bottle and we didn't see them back. Right. So, yes, so they can get up and play and stuff and not be trapped in their crib. Right. Yeah, but that doesn't sound weird. So, yeah, he said then, yeah, they, you know, they all fell back asleep, and he distinctly remembers Amber yelling, Daddy, Daddy. Like you said, he woke up, the house was full of smoke. He started feeling around for his jeans, put them on, was yelling at Amber to get out, get out. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the last he really remembered. Yeah, and, and investigators, at times I feel like, do heartless pieces. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. They were like, well, Amber was in your room. Yeah. I mean, how do you think that made him feel? Yeah. You, you could know? have stayed there. It would have been so right. easy. Yeah. But he said he never thought she was in there. I mean, I would assume, I would say it's safe to assume that she had already passed out at that point. By the I time mean, he got his jeans right. on. And yeah. And he right. couldn't see her. It's, I mean, exactly. you, you have to remember he's in a room full of black smoke. He couldn't see her at that point. So he was screaming, just get out, get out. Right. He said he got up. He moved down the hallway towards their bedroom. He remembers that it smelled in the house like when their microwave blew up a few weeks earlier. So it was like, you know, that burning wire Yeah, that singe, yeah. Or like when you first turn on your heater. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the first time in, you know. in a long time. And he said, you know, he heard popping and sizzling all throughout the house, which again, it's probably wires. I cannot imagine what a terrifying situation, right. hearing all of that, your house full of smoke, your baby's in the house. And so he made it to their bedroom. He stood up because he, obviously he'd been crouching because what did we all learn? Stay yeah. low, yeah. you know. When he stood up, he said he caught his hair on fire. Right away. I, I mean, imagine. I know. And he remembers it being so hot. So he patted the fire out on his head. He started searching blindly on the floor for the girls because uh-huh. that's where he had put them. <laughs> and he said he thought he found one when it was a baby doll. doll. And I cannot even imagine. Like, my heart broke uh-huh, for him when I thinking, read that. <gasps> I found her. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's not I her. Know. Yeah. So at this point, he said he felt like he was going to pass out. So he made his way to the front door and he busted out of it. When he got outside is when he saw his neighbor, Diane, and then, you know, told her to go and get help. And he swore that he tried to get back in the house. Well, and people saw him try to get back in right. the house. Right. Like, people had to restrain him. But he did try to get back into the house. So the investigators asked him, you know, what his opinion was on how the fire started. And he said he didn't know. But he just figured that it started in the children's room, you know, where he first saw the flames. And that he described it as just really black, bright light. So, I mean, he didn't know. He didn't right. know how it started. He did say that they used three space heaters in the house to heat it up. So as soon as I read that, you know, that's a huge, like, Right, but these were not like space heaters that you'd buy at Walmart. Uh, like these yes. were installed in the walls. Like this was an old house. Oh. So they were installed in the walls of the house. That gotcha. you could I'm sure you've seen them. Like I used to see them at my grandmother's uh-huh. house way back uh-huh. in the day. Uh-huh. And you could light it there from the wall. Yeah. 
so that they used three of them in their house. There was one in the kids' room. They had taught them not to play with it, especially Amber, and he stated that he had to give Amber whoopings before to help her keep her from playing with it. So. And you know that probably made him feel bad, but I mean it's the same thing with yeah. like your kids at home. Like, yeah. don't touch don't that touch a hot, hot stove. Yeah. Don't touch a hot iron. And you no. have to whoop them. Just yes. To get them you pop their hand exactly. when they are going to touch the stove. Exactly. Yeah. So he said that he didn't know if the space heater was turned on in the kids' room. It probably was. It's My December. Guess. Yeah. Yes, it had been nighttime. I'm sure they had it on for sleeping. So I mean, I would imagine. Right, it and Vasquez said that he did check the space heater, but of course this was. Four days, Four days later. later. <laughs> and the space heater was at the off position. But I wrote in my notes, I don't really find this a smoking gun because anyone could have turned it off during the fire mm-hmm. or in the aftermath. Any firefighter that was working it could have Absolutely. It yeah. So Willingham also said that the fire could have been considered electrical too because of all sure. the popping and sizzling. Yeah. Again, I don't know that much about fires, but let's just say it was a regular fire. It's still going to pop and sizzle. Right. So I, All I mean, fires. That's the yeah. sound the fire makes. Right. So when the investigators asked him if he knew of anyone that would want to do harm to him or his family, he said he couldn't think of anyone. He said, quote, I just don't understand why anyone would take them. You know, we had three of the most pretty babies anybody could have ever asked for. So sad. I know. He admitted that he and Stacy fought often, um, but they would split up and get right back together and that neither of them could live without those babies. I mean, them fighting often, young, young, young couple, not enough money. No, I mean, of course they fought often. Mm-hmm. Of course they did. Like, I mean, who doesn't? Exactly. That doesn't. That doesn't mean anything to me. One statement that maybe sounded incriminating, but also could have been construed as he wished he could have died too, was that when he thought of Amber, he wished she wouldn't have woken him up. And I would, I think I would 100% feel that way. Yeah. I wish I would have just passed out and died from smoke inhalation too. Because, right. yeah, I don't want to live through this. I don't no. want to live without my babies. I don't want to live this feeling. And so, to me, that doesn't sound incriminating at all. That sounds like a normal parent who just doesn't want to live without their kid right. but who feels terrible. So, anyway, to me, that sounds more that he wished he could have died to and not incriminating. So, during this part of the investigation, though, Vasquez sat back and Fogg asked Willingham all of the questions. And at this moment, Vasquez decides to ask Willingham a question himself he asked Willingham if he put shoes on before he came out of the house, and Willingham said, no, sir. Which, I mean, we've kind of already gone over, but again, this is Vasquez, whom I'm just going to say I don't trust. Yeah. You know. Well, he's the one who's never made a mistake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Vasquez pointed at a map of the house, and he asked Willingham if this was the way he got out. So, he, you know, drew, like, with his fingers, right. that's the way he got out. Right. Willingham said, yes, that is how he got out. So because of this, Vasquez automatically came to the conclusion that Willingham killed his children. This, this is it. Yes. He did it. Right. He didn't have shoes on. Exactly. His feet were not. Yeah. He said because if an accelerant was used as it appeared to the investigators, the fire and floor would have been too hot for him to get out of the house without shoes. According to a medical report, Willingham's feet had no burns or injuries. Okay. Whatever, dude. That like, means he's guilty. Exactly. That's it. Willingham said over and over that the flames were at the ceiling and top of the walls, and there was nothing that was low to the floor. 
Vasquez believed he got out with no injuries because he lit the fire as he was leaving, caught the children's room on fire, then the hallway, and finally the floor. And at trial, Vasquez testified, quote, he told me a story of pure fabrication. He just talked and talked, and all he did was lie. I mean, and he also said, like, he crawled to the girls' room on the bottom. Like, cause we, like you yeah. said, he rises, like, he crawled down low where it was low because the fire was high. Like you said, it was, you know... The fire was at the ceiling and at the top of the wall. So, I mean, yeah, he he was at the bottom where there was no fire. So his right. feet weren't burned because he said there was no fire down there. And here's my question. This is so random. But, you know, his comment, he just talked and talked and all right. the reply. Would that not be considered hearsay? <laughs> right. How do you how do you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they just listened to that and took it. In yeah. court, because he probably, anyway, that's another story for another day. <laughs> so, and I mean, we always talk about this, but motive, and bless him, there was just no motive that no. would have made him want to kill those babies. No. They did have life insurance policies, the babies did, but the grandfather had gotten them, and the grandfather was the beneficiary. So the total for all three was 15000 which maybe covered the cost of burial, maybe. Right, I mean, that was 5000 a piece. Right, exactly. And the grandfather was the beneficiary anyway, so Willingham knew that money wasn't going to be his when they died. He exactly. knew he didn't stand a profit financially from killing them. So, And Stacy, the wife, also said that even though Willingham sometimes hit her, he would never touch the children. He loved them too much, and you know, even Stacy admitted they were spoiled rotten. So there was no history of child abuse, obviously, like from the doctors or from CPS or anything like that there weren't reports of or whatever there were no reports of child abuse there were right. no reports of him being violent towards the children or anything like that so never any evidence pointing towards him as being violent with the children but unfortunately eventually he was considered the only suspect and the police and john jackson who was the assistant da of navarre county at that time told the newspapers that willingham was an utterly sociopathic individual whose kids cramped his style and the local attorney, Pat Bachelor, said that the children prevented him from th drinking and throwing darts. I'm going to be honest. I'm pretty sure the kids had nothing to do with him <laughs> drinking and throwing darts. And dart throwing. I mean, come on. No. And when kids go to bed at night early, like my twins when they were little, would go to bed at 6.30. He had plenty of time right. for Stacy to stay home with the kids and go have a couple beers and throw darts. Yeah. I don't think that would have made him And who's to say he didn't drink and throw darts at, at his, his house? house. Yeah. I mean, no. I don't. can't. No. So on the night of January the 8th, Willingham and Stacy were driving and were surrounded by the SWAT team. Can you Of course imagine? they were. Of course they <laughs> didn't. Come. Yeah. Stacy said they surrounded them like the two of them had robbed multiple banks and had big guns and took Willingham and Stacey. That's so ridiculous. He had really never... Is. He had never run from them before. He always answered their questions. He never was, I mean, give me a break. Uh, there's no mention of him having any kind of weapon. No. Totally ridiculous. Right. They, he was charged with murder, and since there were multiple victims who were also young children, he was eligible for the death penalty. The assistant DA Jackson was not a fan of the death penalty. He thought it was a, not a deterrent and didn't really work. So. And I can see how that could be construed because there's a lot of people that have been put to death and a lot of people that are still committing those same kinds of murders. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Are you pro death penalty? Do you want to say that on air or not? Right. I will say I have gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. I think I am. Mm -hmm. 
I am. For some people, like in exceptional situations, right? Like absolutely, for example, yes. which I'm sure we'll cover at some point. Yes, absolutely. I mean, one Ted Bundy. He yes. kept escaping and escaping. Yeah, he was always going to be a risk. He absolutely right. deserved the death penalty. But here's my other thing. It's going to make me sound really crazy, but I almost feel like the death penalty should be more of like an eye for an eye situation. Mm-hmm. Like you should be killed the same way you killed. Too somebody. easy. Too easy. I know. Just fall. Yeah. I mean, think Have about it. In the Bible, eye for an eye. Fall in the Bible. Like, yeah. Anyways. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. It makes me think of Bundy and all of the atrocities he committed, and then he was gone. I mean, although the electric chair has to be a bit of a. <laughs> Crappy way to go, but I would assume you ever seen Old Sparky. I have seen Old Sparky. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it has to be a really traumatic way to go, but it's still really fast and not nearly as terrifying as what he did. All this. Yes. So. There. Okay. So I listened to Corpus Delicti mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. I love them. And Moms and Murder, and they did a collaboration. They had like a live show, and they did a, a story. It, was, it wasn't too long ago, and it was in Alabama, mm-hmm. and their electric chair was. I think called the Yellow Mama. Ooh. Because it was oh my this is the crazy thing. The yellow Mama. It was painted with the yellow paint that you see on the streets because they had an overabundance okay. of yellow paint. Okay. And so that's So they just decided to paint their electric chair. It's like, well at least Texas. The electric chair is kind of terrifying. Yeah. I think the lethal injection isn't so terrifying. No, when she just falls asleep. I agree. Like, that's too easy. The, the firing squad. The firing squad. Mm. Or the gas chamber. I don't think the firing squad would really hurt. I mean, you die the second you're shot, right? Right. Couldn't be that bad. I would think. I couldn't be that bad. Listen to me. It couldn't be that bad to I be mean, shot in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in all things considered, like you said, though, considering what they have done to their victims, that does sound easy. Yeah, it's like the easy way out. Yeah. So anyway, no, I am pro death penalty as well, but in really, really rare situations. That's mm-hmm. not just across the board. Something you easily slap on someone. Right. So anyway, yeah. So Jackson pointed out part of the reason why he was not a fan of the death was the cost of a prisoner on death row was three times more than a prisoner that was convicted and forced to serve 40 years. So he said that the amount the taxpayers pay for convict on death row is $2.3 million, and this includes the trial, appeals, housing, and execution. I did think that was interesting. And this was in the 90s. Yeah. Imagine what it yeah. is now. Well, darn it all, though, don't they? I mean, it takes so long to kill a prisoner. Yes. Not that they should not be allowed appeals and all of that, absolutely, but I mean, it just seems crazy how long people sit on death row, and of course it costs that much money because they're on death row for like, Tony Darley's still on death row. I mean, mm-hmm. so think how much money they've spent on her. God bless her. Please don't kill Darley. Anyway, another story. He also pointed out that mistakes are made in all kinds of situations. Yeah. And what if that happened to lawyers that helped convict someone's death row and then it ended up being a mistake? I agree. Absolutely. 100%. No. Like, you can't take that back. No. It's different if you just put someone in prison. Absolutely. It's still just as horrible that they had to spend time in prison and they were innocent. But you can't take those back. No, they were gone. They, they can get out and they can resume some sort of normal <clears throat> life and like death penalty. Yeah. So, however, his boss, Bachelor, had a different stance on the death penalty. And he just said certain people who commit bad enough crimes give up the right to live, which I also understand. And he mm-hmm. said that this crime was one of the worst he had ever tried when it came to body count. So, I mean, I do think 
if the evidence was clear or if he had admitted to doing it. Like, certainly, brutally killing three small children right, would be a death penalty case. I mean, I think that's... Right. I think that's fair to say. So anyway, obviously Willingham could not afford an attorney, so he was assigned two lawyers. David Martin was a former state trooper, and Robert Dunn was a local defense attorney um, that considered himself a jack of all trades. He had defended many people, including murderers and divorcees. <laughs> the Ooh, old divorcee. Yeah. <laughs> the divorcee or the triple murder. I don't know. So not Long after Willingham was arrested, the police received a message from a prisoner named Johnny Webb, and he said that Willingham had confessed to killing the children. He squirted liar fluid all over the place, and this just sealed the deal. I think mm-hmm. that just sealed the case against Willingham. Although, again, are there not always like prisoner informants that right. want to get a deal? And they, yeah, well, who was it that? Oh. April from our book club. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because we were talking about things like that, and she's like, "They just want a, a, a nicer bed, a free yeah, bed, like, like absolutely, yeah, that's all." They you want. don't, you don't, you can't trust a prison informant. Right. But Johnny Webb. Yeah, and I mean, come on, Johnny Webb said that he had squirted lighter fluid all over the place. Yeah. You've already taken samples. You've already right. tested them. It wasn't all over the place. Yeah, it wasn't all over the place. So immediately, right? Doesn't that mean he's like, yeah, yeah immediately, wouldn't you say? Actually, the evidence does not corroborate your statement, and we don't believe you. Right. That's not what happened. No. Mm-hmm. So several of Stacy's relatives believed, unlike her, that Willingham had committed this heinous atrocity of a crime. Yes. Like it was just, yeah. Oh, so well, their three the little nieces yeah. or their three little grandchildren had just I, died. Like, it's... It's horrible. It's horrible. They told the judge that they preferred to have no trial because it was so upsetting. The defense was offered a plea deal, plead guilty, and serve life in prison. This overjoyed the defense attorneys as well as the prosecution because the defense attorneys thought that... I mean, they genuinely thought that he committed this crime. But it was their duty as the defense attorney to defend him. Their thinking was if the trial was a jury trial, he would be convicted and executed. But Willingham said, absolutely not. I'm not going to plead guilty to a crime I did not commit. It's so sad to me that his defense attorneys always felt like he committed it. Like, then you really don't have a chance. If you don't even have attorneys that can stand up and fight for you and genuinely believe that you're innocent and genuinely, I mean, that made me really sad, too. Right. His defense attorneys immediately decided he was guilty as well. He Mm -hmm. didn't have chance so if even your attorneys think you're guilty you just you don't have a chance that made me feel sad for him part is horrible horrible so the defense attorneys decided to show Willingham's parents the pictures of the burning children to see if they would go talk to Willingham and convince him to plead guilty which is just beyond it's just beyond how awful is that awful and I mean, I don't know. I just wouldn't look at him. I just would. No. I just would never ever have looked at him. You could so. not have paid me enough no, to do that. No, never. So what a horrible tactic. So they did. And his dad still thought though that Willingham shouldn't plead guilty if he didn't commit the crime. But his stepmom begged him to plead guilty. She just didn't want to see him sent to death row. And so she thought, you know, just go ahead and plead guilty. So his parents um, didn't agree there. But Willingham just totally refused. He just was not, and we see that a lot in these death penalty cases where people just totally refuse and it ends up biting them in the butt, but people are just 
not going to plead guilty to something they didn't do. But I, I but I get it. I, I I would never say kill my children. You couldn't. No. It's like Darlie. Like I mean, I would never. I would never admit it. I don't care. Right. If it's risky, you'll you would never get me to say that I killed my children. You know, the only time that I think I would actually do that is with the Alfred plea. Yes. Where you plead yes. guilty, but say there there's not enough evidence right. for you to not convict. Right. And you don't even, yes. So the Alfred plea just makes me think of the staircase. Mm -hmm. Michael Peterson. Michael Peterson. Same Um, thing with the West Memphis Three. Yes. Yes. But I agree. I would take the Alfred plea in those cases. Absolutely. So Willingham, again, absolutely refused to plead guilty. 100% I understand. He was not going to plead guilty to something he didn't do, especially killing his kids. Yep. Maybe you could convince me to plead guilty to stealing a piece of gum. Sure. <laughs> you know? Fine. One of his attorneys, David Martin, said that he thought Willingham's choice to plead not guilty was quote-unquote nuts. Okay, David Martin. Yeah. But again, David Martin was a trooper. And I was a dispatcher for eight and a half yeah. years. I 100% defend the police. Yeah. But in a situation like this, come on, people. Yeah. So, Willingham refused to plead guilty. The prosecutors, even the defense, thought he was an unrepentant killer. I just can't imagine my attorneys thinking I was an unrepentant. Like, they're the ones on your side. You have to be able to, like, trust your attorneys. They want the best for you. And they believe. I just can't imagine even my attorneys calling me an unrepentant killer. I can't either. You've got no, you have no chance. No. So, in August of 1992, the trial against Willingham started. The team of prosecutors, including Mr. Jackson, brought in many people, including Johnny Webb, oh, Blaze, uh, and the Barbies, both Diane the Barbies and her daughter Buffy. Love you, Barbie. But they mainly relied on the testimony of the investigators Fogg and Vasquez. Right. We already know how Amy feels about Fogg and Vasquez, particularly Vasquez. <clears throat> Ooh, never made a mistake. So when Vasquez was on the stand, he indicated that there were more than 20 indicators of arson. Um, When asked who he thought started the fire, of course he said Willingham. And when they asked why that he thought they started it, he said it was to kill the little girls. But why is that a reason? I mean, well, duh. They want a motive. Well, he started the fire to kill the little girls. Right, but why? But they're asking for why. Right. (laughs) To kill the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows why. Oh, so it was so he could. It was to drink and shoot darts. Yeah. Remember that's why. Right. So the defense tried to find a fire investigator to counter the testimony of Bobby Vasquez, which surprises me because again we've talked about how much they were. Yeah, they already thought he was guilty. Right. But, but the one that they did find agreed with Vas- Vasquez and Fogg. So the only witness they had was the Willingham babysitter, who said she could never imagine Willingham killing his children. I guess they couldn't talk to the Willingham's parents because I mean, remember they talked know. about he sent Christmas cards. They took right. Christmas cards and they had gifts and they were coming up there. So, anyway. And he did again. He wanted to testify, but of course, you know, in yeah. most any almost case, all, yeah, almost any the case, they don't, don't have their the defendant to testify. No. After two days. Two days. Right. Two. Two days and sent him to death row. That's right. unbelievable to me. The trial was over. During the closing arguments, D.A. Jackson said that the puzzling and poor patterns were Willingham's confession. It's ridiculous. He also quoted a Bible verse from the book of Matthew saying, Whomever shall harm one of my children, it's better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and for him to be cast out at sea. So the jury t- returned with the guilty verdict and Vasquez said, Quote, the fire does not lie. End of story. Right. Right. 
So that's what we're going to stop today. It's not really the end of the story. Right. There's so Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But that is where we're going to stop today. We both have tons to do, so we're going to stop there. But don't forget all of our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Leave us a comment. Maybe leave us a comment. <laughs> okay. Here's my thing. I've been listening to a lot of killer queens, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And they even said, listen. Leave us good comments. If you have a complaint, email us. That's true. We would love. That's true. We would love to fix what you want us to yeah, fix. Yeah, absolutely. But don't put it out there to where everybody's reading it and then they're like, "No, we don't want to even listen." Try. Yeah. yeah. So please, all you haters out there. <laughs> there are some of you. We know it. Yeah, we read it. We read your comments. <laughs> Although most of them are overwhelmingly positive, yes. and thank you for that. Yes, we really do appreciate it. We appreciate it. it. So, Meg. Amy. I think we're done. We're signing off. But get ready for the next episode. It gets interesting. It does. Have a good one. Bye. Yeah, from. probably not them. Yeah. 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 If anybody wants to Russell Stover candy. Okay. And okay. then what is that bakery? Um it does fruit cakes. Oh yeah. Anyway. Like so I probably said all of that way too fast. No. Um so he was joined by a state fire marshal far fire marshal, gracious. <laughs> Does this remind anybody of Satanic Panic? Yes. Well, and this was also a time that big bands like right. Van Halen are right. making, like, maybe not Van Halen. And according to the laboratory, laboratory. Laboratory. <laughs> and what is that happening to lawyers that help convince, excuse me, Sir Johnny Webb said that Johnny Webb said. Johnny Webb. <laughs> Okay, we're like two minutes away from being We'll be out. It was so he could drink and shoot dark. Yes. It was we're to, gonna have so much for a blooper. It was to, I know. It was to shoot.